Hey, yo, say hello to the bad guy, Scott Hall. Hey, this is Olympic gold medalist Kurt Angle from TNA. Oh, it's real. It's damn real. Hi, this is Booker T, the five-top WCW champion. And you listen to SNS Radio Network. Yo, monkeys, it's me, P-P-P, the king of Adabim, the master of the diamond cutter, the three-time, three-time, three-time world champion. Stay tuned or you will feel bang. Hey, you listen on the SNS Network. And that's the bottom line. The Stone Cold Central. The world is listening. Standing ovation here. Let's go to our ring announcer. Welcome to the show that brings you all things nostalgia in the world of professional wrestling. It is now time to go... Beyond the Bell! Ring! Ring! Hello! Hello! Hey, it's Cindy in! <laughs> no, who is this? What do you mean, who is this? This is Jimmy Hart, the mouth of the South! Where is she? She's going to the Rick Springfield concert! Rick Springfield! Welcome back, old school wrestling fans, to the Pro Wrestling Nostalgia Show that takes you back in time to rewind and relive all things retro in wrestling. This is Beyond the Bell, which is a part of the SNS Radio Network. And I'm your host, ring announcer, Sean Beckerman. Tonight, we look back at the greatest managers in wrestling history. Of course, it may be difficult to mention all of the greats, but we're going to bring some of the most popular that come to mind behind every great wrestler. You could say who could be somewhat subpar on the mic. In some instances, there's usually a good talking head backing them up and doing the dirty work. This is a tribute to the ones who helped their wrestlers, superstars, gladiators, achieve greatness through politics, schemes, and mic work so good it turned borderline acts into the main event and made great wrestlers turn into legends. Managers, mostly of the heel variety, for the most part, have been the staple of the business for decades, but their roles have gradually diminished since the late 90s. 
if you think back to a time in wrestling in the 70s and 80s. Managers delivered some of the best promos and were involved in some of the most memorable angles. I thought it would be fitting to bring this to Beyond the Bell. We've had over 105 episodes and counting. And now, finally, we get to talk about managers. I wanted to do this justice. And it's a fitting time because we're starting slowly to see an emergence of managers once again in professional wrestling. Some of which who have been rejuvenated to this very day that we'll discuss. And some fairly new. Some you can call valets or divas. But in a sense, managers seem to be making a return to professional wrestling. Let's start off with the lovely Miss Elizabeth. Although she was not a manager in a traditional sense, you could say, she helped to pioneer the role of the valet in wrestling. She was involved in several of the Macho Man's key feuds, including the explosion of the Mega Powers. This is where she became the focal point for the dispute between Hogan and Savage. Men like Flair and Jake Roberts targeted her to get Savage. Her worried presence at ringside added to the emotion of Randy's many classic matches. Macho Man and Liz were arguably the most iconic duo of the 1980s. And they will always be remembered as they were together. Their wedding. The reconciliation after Savage's retirement match with the Ultimate Warrior and the WWF title victory celebration are all memories that will forever, ever be remembered and never forgotten. The first Lady of Wrestling played an integral part in all of them. Macho Man Randy Savage, my guest at this time, you shocked them once and twice with the big pronouncement that this lovely young lady to your right Elizabeth would act as your manager. Boy, stunning, didn't I? I left them sitting on their ear, standing on their whatever, anything goes. Yeah. By, by the way, Randy, if I just may uh, interrupt you. Yes, Elizabeth, I've got to compliment you on that. Just a, a outstanding jewelry. That is very, very attractive on a very attractive lady, I might oh, well, add. thank hey, you very minute, much. Wait a minute. I didn't tell you to talk, did I? Did I tell you to say anything? No, I told you to say nothing. Didn't I tell you that? And you said you're sorry right there. You said something else, man. Don't you understand? Hey, what is this? I don't get want to get Hey, what? Get what? out of here. Just go on up. Sit over there. You understand that? Randy Savage, man, you don't have to respect no, that. That's... is pretty tough. No, it isn't. No, in fact, that's super low-key right there. That ain't nothing. That was real, real bad. Well, I don't want to get into anything else, you might do. you realize that I could have had the top managers in the country sitting in my corner? And do you realize that I could have had all the beautiful women across the country sitting in my corner? I can't believe that. Can you believe that? What well, if I had my choice of her, Bobby? Sitting in the corner of the macho man, Randy Savage, is quite an honor. I didn't ask you to do it, did I? No. No, you didn't. No, I didn't. No. Nothing going. No. Do you apologize to her later no, on? No, I'm not going to apologize at all. In fact, I'm going to have a discussion with her that's going to be real, real bad. Yeah. Going after the title of Hulk Hogan, Tito Santana, the macho man, Randy Savage, is the premier wrestler in the world today. I'm going to go straighten out some business back uh, over here. Apparently yeah. she is deserving of an apology. Fans, stay tuned. We're going to be right back after this. I can't. James J. Dillon. He was famous for guiding his superstars and wrestlers to championship gold. He is perhaps best known for his time as leader of the legendary Four Horsemen. But he always took a back seat to the nature boy, Ric Flair. He was 
not needed to enhance the voice of the horseman, so to speak, because Flair was perhaps the greatest stick man of all time. Arn Anderson, who was also blessed with the gift of gab, Dylan played less of a role as well. But Dylan's management of the horsemen were iconic, and he helped establish their credibility as the original professional wrestling stable. He also managed numerous NWA wrestlers to success throughout the 1980s. Where would peanut butter be without jelly? Where would the wrestlers of the four horsemen be without J.J. Dillon? Building his reputation as the man who did the dirty work, he achieved many feats and made sure Flair, Tully, Oli, and Arn, plus others who filled in as horsemen, always got their way more times than not. During his three years at the helm of the horses, so to speak, Flair and company usually always set on top of WCW and the wrestling world. At the Cincinnati Gardens on Friday, February 26th, the wrestling fans in Cincinnati are going to see firsthand why Tully Blanchard and Arn Anderson are not only key members of the Four Horsemen of Professional Wrestling, but they're going to find out why they are the world tag team champions. And unfortunately, it's going to have to be at the expense of Ole Anderson and the total package Lex Luger. Two misfits. Two has-beens and would-have-beens, if you would, except they didn't have the brains and the intelligence and what it took to run with the four horsemen. Ole Anderson, you couldn't cut it six months ago, and we had to turn you loose. And now teaming with Lex Luger is not going to change things one iota. What is going to happen in Cincinnati is the world tag team champions are going to eat you alive. Classy Freddie Blassie. Mr. Blassie was adept in portraying one of the most obnoxious villains in professional wrestling history. He inspired hate from the crowd, and the methods he used to rile up the masses were legendary. He attracted ten times the heat of, you could say now, Vicky Guerrero. He was much better at transferring that heat onto, wrestle, onto the wrestlers that he managed. Nikolai Volkov, Peter Maivia, Adrian Adonis, Jesse Ventura... The Iron Sheik benefited vastly from the Blassie Association. His trademark maneuvers would just generate heat from the crowd. Him asking, you know, hearing from the crowd, want to hear the applause as the ring announcer, my favorite Howard Finkel, would announce, Classy Freddy Blassie. He raised his hands and then swing his cane around, that trademark cane of his, you pencil neck geeks. His from his attire, that flashy wardrobe, drew the attention to him, but then on to his performer, his client, so to speak. Blassie, a Hall of Famer, revered by many, especially by Vince McMahon. He was the voice of many packages the WWF produced in the mid to late 90s. But the classy one, Tied together with Andy Kaufman, in a sense, with one of his productions, will forever be remembered as one of the greatest wrestling managers of all time. I'd like to spend a couple of moments speaking with the manager, Fred Blassie, the veteran septuagenarian entrepreneur and wrestling manager extraordinaire of the World Tag Team Champions. I read last week in the National Enquirer that you have been romantically linked to the fabulous Moolah. What about it, Freddie? You know, I hate a hard loser, Gene. And I want to tell your wife out there 
Whenever he calls and he's not, you know, he calls at home, says, I'll be late. He's with Mola. <laughs> An IRS, if he says he's expense account, he's with Mola. Listen, I stay, at, I stay at a Holiday Inn here and there, but don't, but, don't be... No, no, well, you know, I'm a hard loser. Yep, I thank you very much. Fred, that's enough. Yes. Iron Cheek, Nikolai Volkov, title defenses. There are a number of teams hot on your he uh, heels and after these title belts, Nikolai. That's right. Since WrestleMania, we've won this battle. Those Michael Thunder, Barry Vino, after we beat him fair and square, now we have all kinds of competition. People want to get his belt. But to get his belt, you know, you just need big mouth. You need to come ring a wrestle. And me, Sheik, we are ready. So, Mike Ritondo, you don't deserve the two match because we beat you fair and square. And everybody else, all you Americans, we on the belts. Just look at it because it's hard to go get it. I'm, I'm very curious. Kazro Vasari, Sheikh Alahani, the Iron Sheik, has anything changed in your personal life, in your professional life, since March the 31st and WrestleMania? Again, you're holding the title belt, the championship belt. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Gene Oakland. You're an intelligent American man. You know I come from all this country in the world. Persia. That's Persia. That's not the first belt I get. No, I know I, that. Okay, I expect you be intelligent, Dad. You explain to that American people. I'm not that excited about this belt. I get a gold medal and belt since 18 years old to right now. But one thing, Mr. Gene Oakland, bothered me. What, that what bothers you? That two punk Barry Vandom and Macrotondo. Mr. Macrotondo, I know you've been University of Syracuse, New York. And I heard about wrestling team, how tough and rough was that state. You made it. You come champion. Same as another punk. His partner, Barry Vandom, Sweetwater, Texas. I just want to know who come from sweet water, Texas, world class, Olympic class, AU class, no, world heavyweight champion class. Mr. Macrotondo, Barry Vandom, you guys did it good only for your country. Hey. But now... Yes, what about, what about this uh, board of the USA, that song? Tremendous patriotism on their part. Just like Jesse the body said, there are jealousy. Jealousy never get you nowhere. I know all American behind you, but that doesn't gonna help you. Look at our body. Cameraman, zoom it. Playing Ron Arledge, you gotta be here. Thank you. Nikolai Volkov, the Iron Sheik. Number one. Thank you very much. Sensational Sherry Martel. Sherry was a vital, vital part in establishing Shawn Michaels in his original newfound gimmick, you could say, after the Rockers, as the arrogant heartbreak kid. She accompanied him to the ring and contributed to his entrance music to boot. His theme was sung by Sherry herself. She was a legendary bump taker and was not afraid to put her body on the line for the sake of a storyline. As well as HBK, she also managed Randy Macho Man, or should we say Macho King Savage in his heel run, and the character differences between her and Elizabeth helped establish Savage during this time period. He went from the classy Miss Elizabeth as Macho Man Randy Savage, WWF Champion, to the Macho King, to Sensational Sherry, which people dubbed her as Scary Sherry, the ravenous, vicious style of valet, which countered, and we could say complimented, not counter, countered Elizabeth, but complimented the Macho Man's 
gimmick at that point. She also managed the Nature Boy Ric Flair in WCW, the Honky Tonk Man Jake the Snake Roberts, and the Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase. She fit well with Mr. DiBiase, the Million Dollar One, as the glitz and glamour fit with DiBiase, but that edge that she had, she could be classy but vicious, like we mentioned, fit well with the heel DiBiase character. Her run in WCW managing the Harlem Heat, the tag team of Booker T and Stevie Ray, really showed her credentials as manager. She was able to turn from sensational to sensuous in WCW, then to Sister Sherry. She managed these, initially nobodies in a sense, when they originally came into WCW, to seven world tag team title reigns. And Booker T would eventually become a five-time, 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 five-time WCW world champion. And all of that, no one can deny the impact she made in professional wrestling, so much so that she is a WWE Hall of Famer. No matter who she managed... She didn't take away all the spotlight, but accentuated the spotlight on her superstar. From getting her hair cut off by Brutus the Barber Beefcake, where I was there live in person to witness, to taking bumps, she quite possibly took the best, (laughs) the best atomic drop in the business. She knew how to sell, she knew how to talk, she knew how to manage, and she even knew how to wrestle. She could do it all. She is the essence of a valet slash manager in professional wrestling. With me now, Sensational Queen Sherry. You mean victorious Sensational Queen Sherry. Well, yes, but you're not going to gloat about a victory like that. Listen, Mean Gene, when you are so good that you intimidate your opponent to the point where they don't even show up because they know they'll take a sensational beating, you can gloat all you want to. Well, I suppose, but uh, Queen Sherry, there's something peculiar going on around here as it relates to Sweet Sapphire. It's almost if... She vanished into thin air. There were earlier sightings of Sapphire, but I don't know what's happened to her. I really... Earlier sightings? What is she, a UFO? But you're right. A lot of people did see Sapphire earlier this afternoon, and I'm beginning to think that maybe she's not so dumb after all. What do you mean? First of all, she was smart enough not to show up and take a beating in her match with me. Second, I heard a few rumors a minute ago. (laughs) She may be the smartest person in the WWF. Rumors? What rumors? (laughs) Well, (laughs) this is too good to be true! Sensational Queen Sherry, I fail to see what's so funny about a missing person. I said she was missing. I didn't say anything about her being a person. This next individual has translated to this very day. Paul Heyman. Paul E. Dangerously managed the Midnight Express, stunning Steve Austin, Adrian Adonis, and Don Morocco back in the day. But he is perhaps better remembered for his creation of Extreme Championship Wrestling. In recent times, Heyman demonstrated his skills as a manager with the nurturing of one next big thing, Brock Lesnar. Heyman's reputation preceded him, and the heat that he received was transferred to Lesnar, 
who was quickly established as a monster heel in the WWE and a legitimate main event player. Lesnar's short but successful first WWE career, in which he became a three-time WWE champion, a Royal Rumble winner, and a King of the Ring, is a testament to Heyman's managerial skills. His famous cell phone in hand, originally the Zach Morris cell phone in WCW, where he managed the Dangerous Alliance. Arguably, one of the most underrated groups of all time with the collection of superstars, Larry Zabisco and all, even managing, like we mentioned, Stone Cold, or should we say stunning, Steve Austin. Heyman could do it all. He had the gift of gab, so to speak, even to this very day. Heyman, like we mentioned, from WCW being a manager, at sometimes filling in as commentator, leaving WCW to to, in a sense, create the extreme part of ECW. And in a sense, you could say, even though he was running ECW as the head, he was managing each and every superstar. You had his pet projects like Sabu, where he would talk about the suicidal, homicidal, genocidal superstar. He would talk about Rob Van Dam, Taz. He would push those pay-per-views, in a sense, as a manager. Then once unfolded, he went back. Or should we say he went back to his original roots as a manager, so to speak. But in a a sense, in the commentary role in the WWF as commentator with Jim Ross. And he would soon join his roots of a manager once again in the World Wrestling Federation. Being a part of the Alliance storyline. And then once the Alliance and the Invasion folded, him turning once again into that manager role but he reinvented the role instead of being called a manager he was the agent of Brock Lesnar and he had clients my client now it translates to this very day with a numerous year hiatus he returned to manage the returning Brock Lesnar to the WWE and then became manager of CM Punk or now client and agent For those superstars. And then most recently. Becoming the manager slash agent. Of Curtis Axel. The son of Mr. Perfect Kurt Henning. No matter what the incarnation. Paul Heyman. Is one of the greatest managers of all time. Whether he was talking for. A great stick man like CM Punk. Or a guy that needed. The additional mic skills in one Brock Lesnar. Heyman could do it all. He knows how to accentuate the positives and minimize the negatives. One of the greatest, if not arguably the greatest manager of all time. And he's bringing back managers to professional wrestling. Who can argue with that? The AWA World Heavyweight Champion, the King Jerry Lawler, comes to Meridian to defend the uh, Heavyweight Championship against uh, Hot Stuff Eddie Gilbert, and they're no strangers. Of course they're not. Because everybody knows that while Tommy Gilbert was on the road, Jerry Lawler was like a daddy to Eddie Gilbert. And when Eddie was a little boy, he went to Memphis, and Jerry Lawler was his idol. But that's the whole point, Lawler. You were an adult then, and Eddie was a kid. But now he's a grown man, and you're still hanging around, and this time with the World Heavyweight Championship. But these are the two dudes that have done more to you than anybody else in the world. 
because I'm the guy that engineered the shaving of your head. And I'm also the guy that led a tag team to take the World Tag Team Championship from you and superstar Bill Dundee, ma'am. And now you got the World Heavyweight Championship, and I got the one guy that can take that from you. The man that threw your fire in your face, your trick, your move. And coming in Meridian, man, we're taking your title, the World's Heavyweight Championship. <laughs> Jimmy, the mouth of the South heart. Well, the mouth of the South was instrumental in the rise of the Hart Foundation and made sure that Brett and Jim the Anvil Neidhart's lack of confidence in the early days was not a stumbling block. His megaphone was symbolic of his prominence on the mic, and he quickly built up a reputation as an arrogant loudmouth. He was masterful at building up heel heat and helped get the Hart Foundation over as a threat to the tag team division. The megaphone, along with his annoying voice, would help drive all of them, all, both superstars or anyone under his realm to fame. He managed Greg the Hammer Valentine, Jerry the King Lawler, Ted DiBiase, the Honky Tonk Man, Hulk Hogan, and of course we mentioned the Hart Foundation. Jimmy Hart was known for sitting in the corners of his wrestlers, barking down orders through the always the always loud megaphone, while at the same time yelling and earning the ire of the announcers like Gorilla Monsoon. He helped Honky Tonk Man have the longest intercontinental championship title reign, and at the same time managed the Glamour Girls to the Women's Tag Team Championship, earning him Professional Wrestling, or should we say Pro Wrestling Illustrated's Manager of the Year in 1987. He later won the honor again in 94. He's been a part of wrestling's biggest stages, and perhaps no manager received more reaction from a crowd than Jimmy Hart. Get you back up into the ring here in just a moment or two. Mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart, come on in. Good Lord. I'll tell you, that bullhorn oh. just drives me nuts. I got a headache the way it is. Give me a break, will you, Let Jimmy Let me tell Hart? you something, baby. I'm so excited that you know I promised you several weeks ago that I was going to show the whole world the greatest team in the history of professional wrestling. And I want to do some to you right now. The Hart Foundation, baby. The Hitman and the Anvil. <laughs> I'll, t I'll tell you what. I, I, want to, I want to converse, if I may, Jimmy Hart, with these two men of yours. Uh, they are one of the top teams, no doubt about it, the in greatest, tag team action. Top team. Well, wait a minute. You're not the world champions. They happen to be very women. Like... We can't get a match with the world tag team champions. Well, wait a minute. You don't do this overnight, gentlemen. You have to meet the likes of, oh, let's say, the Killer Bees or the British Bulldogs. <laughs> the Killer Bees. The British Chihuahuas. I love, I love these names. Yeah, you know, there is a very serious problem, and we, we've got some very good news for everyone out there in the United States about these pestilent problem. Out in California, the killer bees. It's a very, very serious problem. So don't anybody worry about a thing. Because <laughs> we will end that problem, and then there won't be any more problems. Right, Jimmy? Because <laughs> what do we do? We do what we want. Right, Hitman. All right, from Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Brett, the Hitman Hart. Uh, obviously, this team is working out quite well. I think oh, they're going to have to agree. We got, the, we got the greatest manager in professional <laughs> wrestling, for one thing. And then me, for example... Not only am I possibly the greatest looking wrestler, but I'm also the greatest technical wrestler in professional wrestling. Wait a minute, wait a minute. Bret Hart. The greatest technical wrestler. Bret Hart, in all due respect, with that kind of arrogance and, and, and what you're saying, your father would be ashamed if he heard you talking like we that. We don't care, do we? No, no, we don't no, care what no. his father He's thinks. Very, we don't care what very, you very think. very, very proud of the way I'm wrestling. <laughs> dumb, dumb. Right. And this guy. Look at the power in this guy. Look at the strength. Look this at the guy. boss! Strongest man in the world. Beautiful. Strength. They are the Heart Foundation. Heart, heart, and not heart, and we're right back. Captain Lou Albano. 
He was a legendary figure in professional wrestling and was the most prominent manager in the 1970s. He was instrumental in laying the groundwork for the likes of Bobby Heenan and Jimmy Hart to follow in his footsteps. The role that perhaps sums up his skills the best was when he managed the ultra-talented tag team, the British Bulldogs. The Dynamite Kid and his cousin Davey Boy Smith were two of the best superstars that the WWF had at their disposal, but they were clumsy and awkward during interviews. When Vince McMahon added Captain Lou to the mix, it was the perfect combination, and the Bulldogs went on to cement their legacy as one of the greatest tag teams of all time. The Wild Samoans, the Head Shrinkers, Andre the Giant, Jimmy Snuka, and Hulk Hogan, to name a few, also benefited from his management at one time or another. With a larger-than-life personality and the mic skills to boot, the captain took a record 15 tag teams to gold. Along the way, he took even the most babyface tag teams and turned them into villains with one cut of a promo. Along with his tag team successes, he also helped another four competitors to singles gold, including names like Pat Patterson and Greg Valentine. Lou Albano can also be credited as one of the leading forces behind the wrestling crossover role into mainstream society with his collaborations with Cyndi Lauper. This resulted in him being featured in a couple of their, of even her music videos and other pop culture events. Long live the rock and wrestling connection. We'll be at the side of Mr. Saito and Mr. Fuji in Asbury Park. It's more or less my adopted hometown. Mr. Albano. I've got many, many fans there. Go right ahead. Well, we'll take your word for that. But aside, aside from whether or not you have fans in Asbury Park, you are most unusual in many, many ways. Yes, I am. And one of them is the fact that from time to time you do choose to enter the squared circle. But when you do choose, as of late at least, it seems to me that you more or less kind of hide behind your men that you don't really you don't ever start the match off that it's not that i hide it's just that i'm smart i'm like a snake baby i move in groove i can get behind mr saito i can get behind mr fuji and i can be the guiding light i can film i can watch i can look for weaknesses i can turn mr saito into a maniac killer and say mr saito in one second, baby. You know what that means? Speaking of turning, Mr. Albano, it seems to me that as of late, it seems that you're almost literally turning Japanese as of late. Well, I have fluent, I am a fluent speaker of the Japanese language. I've spent many, many years in Tokyo, and I, am, I have been adopted by Mr. Fuji and Mr. Saito, realizing that the Japanese race is the superior race. They are brilliant people. They've adopted the captain, and I've, I've fluently learned to read and write and speak Japanese. Would you like to hear a few words? Yes. Hayataya unsakaita! Captain's ready, baby. I mean, I'm moving, grooving, I'm ready, I'm looking for this match. I'm in the best condition of my Sonny, Tammy Sitch. You could say she is the original embodiment of the term diva. Wherever she went, success quickly followed. At one point, she managed three consecutive tag team champions. She initially started with the Body Donnas, who she helped form. She turned on them in favor of the Godwins, who had just won the championships back. Then she aided the Smoking Guns into taking the belts away. 
Sonny also was in the corner of Farouk during his quest for the Intercontinental Championship. Despite the reasons of her being removed from WWE programming, she helped to produce the idea of being smart, sexy, and powerful. This is the idea that the WWE Divas live up today. Some say she is the original diva. She made herself known in the business by her, you could say her charisma. She could talk behind the mic in a sense, even from her original days in Smoky Mountain Wrestling. You could tell Tammy Sitch knew the business, and she was, in a sense, the original diva in the WWE. Jim Cornette. Tennis racket in hand, he has almost uniquely creative wrestling brain as any other manager we discussed and has contributed endless positives to the industry. His work in OVW and the, develop, the developmental ten- territories has been instrumental in finding new WWE stars with the likes of Batista, John Cena, Randy Orton passing through Cornette's tutelage. His Smoky Mountain Wrestling promotion also produced many stars, with Chris Jericho and Kane enjoying stints with Cornette's, with Cornette's so-called brainchild. His promotion, in a sense, helped breed new stars to the WWE. His booking ability and his uncanny knack for recognizing new talent helped get TNA off the ground. He also was established a part, being a part of Ring of Honor as making it really the third wrestling company. But in a managerial position, he was able to establish so many great talents. Camp Cornette in the WWF consisted of Owen Hart, Vader, and the British Bulldog. And he played a huge part in ensuring that these talented wrestlers did not they really get lost in the shuffle. But Cornette's most famous managerial position was with the Midnight Express in the old NWA. Cornette was the mouthpiece of Bobby Eaton and Dennis Condry's rise to serious tag team success in Mid-South and world-class championship wrestling. However, their their most famous run was in WCW, where they were multiple-time tag team champions. There were many different incarnations of the Express over the years, but the duos that boasted Cornette as the frontman were always more memorable. Cornette, tennis racket in hand, was one of the greatest managers, greatest talkers of all time. Now let's go to David Crockett. All right, ladies and gentlemen, July 10th in Baltimore. This man will be in a straight jacket. Let me tell you something right now. The Great American Barracks is catching fire. Like wildfire all over the country. It's burning from one end to the other. And July the 10th, Baltimore, Maryland, is getting closer and closer and closer. The Fantastics are going to put the U.S. Tag Team title on the line against the Midnight Express. The loser gets 10 lashes. The winner gets the belt. But what's more, in a blatant, in an outright blatant attempt to humiliate me to make me look like an idiot, they're going to stick me in a straitjacket and hang me 50 feet in the air over that ring. Now, I realize, David, that you and Larry and Curly over there would love to see me in a straitjacket. And I realize the Fantastics and the NWA would love to see me in a straitjacket. But the American people are behind Behind me, brother, just like they always are, and behind the Midnight Express, one of the most prestigious publications in America today, Pulitzer Prize winners in journalism, the Weekly World News, the first ones to break headlines like Adam and Eve found in Asia, World War II bomber plane found on the moon, injured UFO crew in Soviet hospital, and of course, Elvis is alive. He was seen at a Burger King in Kalamazoo, Michigan. These guys are on top of things, and right here in the latest issue, Right here on the editorial page, next to the science column where it says that an expert says dinosaurs honk like Buicks. It says 
been in a survey taken of the population of Butte, Montana. 95% of the people did not want to see Jim Cornett get put in a straitjacket. 2% did, and 3% were unavailable for comment. And brother, there you have it. But I don't care who's behind me, the American public, or anybody else, as long as the Midnight Express is, I'll tell you this, fantastic. After you have finished on July the 10th, humiliating me by putting me in a straitjacket, after you have finished on July the 10th, embarrassing me by putting me in that cage, and after you finished on July the 10th, petrifying me and scaring me to death by hanging me up in the air 50 feet over the ring. <laughs> well, then there's an old saying that goes like this, brother. He who laughs last, laughs best. And believe you me, when I'm hung up there after I've been petrified and humiliated and embarrassed, when I see the Midnight Express take those U.S. Tag Team title belts from you, when I see you get whipped like the dogs that you are, when I see that I'm hanging up there and I'm not there to be able to pull the Midnight Express off of you, brother, then fantastic, I'm going to be laughing. I'm going to be laughing, and so is everybody else, because we're going to embarrass you and humiliate you. But for me to be put in a straitjacket and not be able to guide my great champions on a victory is ridiculous, David Crockett. Do you realize they never even tied my hands up when I was little, and I used to, I used to be hyperactive when I was a child, but I got all that taken care of with medication. But I'll tell you this, man, we're going to get you one way or the other. I just hope I don't get hurt, Bobby. You know how long all right, ladies and gentlemen, July 10th in Baltimore, he's going to be in a straitjacket. Let's go to the ring, the Rock and Roll Express. Some call him the Reverend, many call him the Doctor of Style, Slick. He came on the scene in 1986, becoming the first African-American manager in the WWE. The Doctor of Style went on to manage the Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov, and he would later manage the Twin Towers, Akeem and the Big Boss Man. His smooth style and charismatic ways always seemed to help put his guys over the top, even in the most dire situations. Him singing the entrance theme for the Twin Towers jive soul brawl, any true wrestling fan will remember that. Later on in his career becoming the Reverend Slick, many love his preachings, as it's so fitting for his character in and out of the ring. Slick, one of the greatest talkers for his stars, one of the best managers of all time. With me now, a superstar who claims he is going to collar the British Bulldog, Davy Boy Smith. I'm referring to the warlord, joined by his manager, the Doctor of Style, Slick. Brother, did you say claim? Hey, how about guarantee? Take a look at this man. It takes more than one dog to put this man down. It takes a whole pack of dogs. So, David Boy Smith, you get ready to pack it in because you're about to be fixed, brother. Because every dog knows that when you gotta go, <laughs> you gotta go. There's no wrestler that has escaped my full Nelson. And you... Davy boy, will be no exception to that rule. <laughs> oh, Davy boy, remember, it's a doggy dog world, so you be prepared. You're about to be devoured. <laughs> Let's go over to Gene Okerlund. Mr. Fuji. As dangerous in the ring as he was outside it, Mr. Fuji helped teams such as Demolition, The Powers Are Pain, The Orient Express reach the top of the tag team ladder. He also managed the likes of Don Morocco, Owen Hart, and Yokozuna. It was Yokozuna who perhaps gave Mr. Fuji his biggest success. Mr. Fuji 
helped lead the Giant to win in the 1993 Royal Rumble and later that year win at WrestleMania 9 over Bret Hart. He was the World Wrestling Federation champion under the tutelage of one Mr. Fuji. This 505-pound individual will have a chance to regain the World Wrestling Federation title, but in order to do that, he must defeat five-time World Wrestling Federation champion Hulk Hogan. Let me tell you, this Sunday night, Hulk Hogan, we're going to face you and take back the belt that you stole from Ayokozuma in WrestleMania 9. You say stole, Mr. Fuji, you issued a challenge at WrestleMania 9. I did not issue no challenge whatsoever. Yokozuna and I, like millions of Japanese all over the world, were celebrating victory against ex-champion Bret Hart. And let me tell you, Hogan, this Sunday, when you look across the ring, you'll see not a 505 pound, but you'll see a 550 pound. I am deliberately bossing my Yokozuna up. It consists of eight to 12 meals a day. You'll eat about 30 to 40 pounds of rice, 60 to 80 pounds of steak, fish, and chicken. Wait, eyes up with you, Hulk Hogan. He'll pound you right down the canvas. Then when you come, when your consumer climbs up the ring on the rope, give them kamikaze drop. Then I will turn around and look at all the little Hokomania crying in tears. Then I'll tell my Yokozuna, go for the team. And he'll climb up the rope, give him another Kamikaze bomb. And we will take back what is rightfully ours. And all the people in Japan, including the Emperor of Japan, and a fat Emperor King, a national holiday for my Yokozuna. And your Yokozuna will be a new WWF champion. I assure you, Mr. Fuji does not speak for anyone of Asia. The Grand Wizard, Ernie Roth. One of the most underrated heel managers of all time, his career started in the late 60s and continued until his death in 83. He made his first big splash as a manager for Stan Stasiak, whom he led to championship gold. He later helped WWE Hall of Famer superstar Billy Graham win the championship. On the list of his accomplishments include managing the first Intercontinental Champion, Pat Patterson, as well as other Intercontinental Champions like Ken Patera and Don Morocco. Unlike fellow 1970s era WWF heel managers Lou Albano and Freddie Blassie, the Wizard never physically interfered in his men's matches. He didn't need to. His obnoxious promos and garnished get-up which consisted of loud, mismatched jackets and pants, a turban and gaudy sunglasses, were more than enough to incite fans. Sable. There isn't a guy who hit puberty in the late 1990s that does not know who Sable is. The definition of, you could say, sex symbol, Sable has accompanied Triple H and Mark Merrill, her ex-husband, to the ring in the past. Sable had her issues with the WWE as well, but came back in 2003 to patch things up with the company. After leaving the organization for a second time, Sable divorced Mark Merrill and married another good fighter, you could say. Former UFC competitor and now WWE superstar once again, Brock Lesnar. 
She made an impact in the ring. She wrestled for a brief time, but everyone remembers the managerial side of Sable as, at times, she may have pulled the spotlight away, but she helped accentuate the total package, not Lex Luger, of her and her superstar she's managing. Bill Alfonso. The only way to become truly heel in ECW was ventured by Mr. Bill Alfonso. In his first appearance with the company, he was a referee who called a match straight down the middle and would disqualify wrestlers for things such as using steel chairs, which are about as legal as an Irish whip in ECW. Alfonso managed some of the best that the land of extreme has ever offered us, including Taz, Sabu, and Rob Van Dam. He initially, of course, was a manager in other promotions, as you can watch him at WrestleMania 9 manage the main event match with Brett and Yoko. M- Mr. Bill Alfonso has been around the the business, you could say, via different territories, but made his name in ECW with that trademark whistle and all. He can go down as one of the best managers because he did play a part of the character of the superstar that came down the aisle. Um, so with that in favorable the big strip Del Mabry. I had two massages because Taz won the big match. And I was dead on surfing and dead on surfing and I see my favorite actor and it reminded me of Bam Bam Bigelow. I want an easy! I want an easy! I want an easy! But Bam Bam, you eat drag your head. I hate you because when I was in Betty Ford, nobody had to a fuck song for his autograph. They wanted to know if Bam Scullin, the golden boy. Arnie Scullin managed both Bruno Sammartino and Bob Backlund to two of the longest WWF championship reigns in history. He was inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame in 1994 before it was a true fad or a part of the WrestleMania weekend festivities, just the second class ever, and is seen as the second man to ever be inducted after the late great Andre the Giant as the lone inductee in 1993. He's most widely known for throwing in the towel against Bob Backlund via his contest with the Iron Sheik, which led to the rise of Hulkamania following that loss. But Arnie Scala, one of the greatest managers, you can't deny, cannot deny one of the greatest managers of all time. James Mitchell. He was one of the more popular managers in the history of ECW and worked well as manager to The Gathering as well as Abyss and Judas Macias in TNA. Mitchell was a creepy guy in general and almost seemed like a poor man's Paul Bearer in a sense at first glance. However, Mitchell was his own breed of of manager, you could say, acting more like a sinister version of a lion tamer pushing his talent to be ruthless. Originally, James Vandenberg in World Championship Wrestling, managing Mortis, then Wrath, who would go after Glacier in the cartoon storyline side of WCW, but it was James Mitchell's 
promo skills that made him different, that demonic, that demonic type of tone his promos would be in, his look, those sharp nails, that devilish look, the red suit. He embodied the character that he was. It's a shame he wasn't in the WWE because that type of character would fit so well with the likes of like a Kane, now you see Bray Wyatt. That demonic type of character is so fitting for the WWE. He is a character and one of the best, one of the greatest managers, more underrated of all time. In Dante's Divine Comedy, the ninth circle of hell is reserved for the lowest of the low. Those who have betrayed their benefactors, the treacherous. So I suppose that's where one would go if they wanted to find the former ECW World Heavyweight Champion. I'm a former World Heavyweight Champion. Shut up! Go start a fire, Mikey. Now, in the last week, a WCW contracted wrestler lost the ECW World Heavyweight Championship to a WWF contracted wrestler after interference by an ECW contracted wrestler in an ECW ring. Now, that is extreme. <laughs> of course, the wrestling pundits would have you believe that the events of this past week in ECW are going to pale in comparison to Cyberslam. Now, in order for that to happen, Cyberslam is going to have to be, to annual wrestling events, what sexual homicide <laughs> is to a goodnight kiss. <laughs> oh. I love you all, <laughs> especially your souls. <laughs> Vicky Guerrero, who could have imagined? where her husband Eddie's career would have ended up if she had managed him. Vicky brings gold no matter where she goes. She helped Edge win world championships and formed La Familia. She even helped Chavo Guerrero win the ECW championship. She also helped manage Lay Cool to championships and is the reason Dolph Ziggler was intercontinental champion. From manager to general manager, apart either via Raw or SmackDown, supervising consultant whatever role she was in she played a huge part she again one of the individuals like paul Heyman, was a modern day manager she brought the manager back to professional wrestling people were so excited when they heard she was going to form a stable when she had ziggler then she signed on jack swagger finally a stable back in wrestling by a manager not just a group of guys together but a manager that was leading a group of stars vicky was the modern version, or is the modern version of that. Now she's in a general manager role, but she did play a big part in Edge's career, getting him to his multiple championships. Vicky, underrated, that excuse me, that annoying screeching voice, 
She may not have the popular popular looks of a diva, but she is good at what she does. Gary Hart. Hart's career, which spanned four decades, began in 1963. He made his debut as an in-ring competitor in wrestling territories in Illinois and Wisconsin. However, Playboy made his greatest impact as a manager and creative mind in WCCW. He guided the careers of legends such as the Great Kabuki, the Great Muda, Bruiser Brody, Terry Funk, One Man Gang, Gentleman Chris Adams, Abdullah the Butcher, Hall of Famers Rowdy Roddy Piper, Big John Studd, and the American Dream Dusty Rhodes, and countless others. Hart played a pivotal role in the iconic rivalry between the Von Erichs and the Freebirds, which helped propel WCCW to national and worldwide prominence in the late 80s. He also managed Adams during his wars with Kevin and Kerry Von Erich, and spearheaded the JTEX Corp, which included Funk, Muda, Dick Slater, Buzz Sawyer, and the Dragon Master, in their memorable rivalry with Flair and Sting in 1989. All right, Gary Hart, question. All right. Al Perez is a very graceful wrestler. He's out there. He's got that spinning toe. But is he mean enough? All right. I mean, downright nasty to go up against somebody like Dusty Rhodes. You know, Dusty Rhodes is no. He's not. He's not a graceful wrestler. He'll just go out there and bite you. All right. Dusty Rhodes is a mean, nasty, ringy, ugly human being. To get in the ring and wrestle Dusty Rhodes, the only way I could equate that to. Would the beat get on like a 15, 1,600-pound Brahma bull, All right. and when he throws you off, he tries to stomp the life out of you. But you see, there is one thing that a lot of people don't take into consideration when you talk about Dusty Rhodes and when you talk about Al Perez. Al Perez is a young lion. Dusty Rhodes is a seasoned veteran with numerous injuries that's taken place over the years. The only thing that we have to do, I say we, only thing Al has to do is to find a particular area on his anatomy that is not 100%. Now, you figure if Al Perez would lift Dusty Rhodes 280, 300 pounds, according what he had for breakfast, up in the air and spin him and let him light. He wouldn't light very light either, probably break the ring. And then lock that figure four on and cinch it up real tight. Knowing Dusty Rhodes, he's not the kind of guy that's going to let his shoulders be pinned to relieve the pain. Dusty Rhodes is not the type of guy that is going to submit. So there's only one alternative, isn't there? The leg must go. You see, if you put on the spinning toe holes, and you lock it in real tight. There's only three things that can happen. Number one, you arch your back to relieve the pain and you get the one, two, three. The other option is you submit. The other option is the leg, maybe not the leg, but surely the cartilage, the tendon, something's gonna go. But before the year is over, we, meaning myself, J.J. Dillon, and Kevin Sullivan, and a few other people, are going to see to it that Dusty Rhodes, here in the wrestling business, is going to be ended. I've insulted your fat, ugly sister. I've insulted your mama. I could talk about your daddy beating two men to death with his bare hands. 
and you had to move. The man actually had to move from Austin, Texas, and move to Allen, Texas. He can't even get in there. I don't know what else I got to do, Dutchette. Maybe I got to slap that ugly wife of y'all. Maybe that's what I got to do. I don't know. I've insulted your mama, your daddy, your sister. I didn't insult the sister because I'm just telling the truth about that woman. I don't know what more I have to do to make you sign a contract with Al Perez. Maybe the situation is you lost your guts. You didn't lose your belly, but you lost your guts. Sir Oliver Humperdinck, the red-haired, bug-eyed Humperdinck, made, we could say first made his name for himself as a heel manager in Florida Championship Wrestling. He formed a heel stable there and in other NWA territories, including Jim Crockett Promotions, based in the Carolinas, that was known as the House of Humperdinck. Among the notable wrestlers he managed during those days were Greg Valentine, Don Morocco, Bruiser Brody, Ivan Koloff, and superstar Billy Graham. Humperdinck joined the WWF in 1987 and had a brief run as the babyface manager of Bam Bam Bigelow and Paul Orndorff. He later worked for WSW where he managed the Freebirds and he was sort of known in a different sense as Big Daddy Dink. Again, another underrated manager, he accentuated his superstar. Harvey Wimpleman, a.k.a. Downtown Bruno. He debuted in the WWF as Harvey Wimpleman, the heel manager of Big Bully Busick, who had a brief and uneventful stint. When Busick left, Wimpleman stayed and became the manager of the Warlord and Sid Justice. Wimpleman, along with Kim Chi, managed Kamala. Seeking revenge for the loss of Kamala, Wimpleman brought a new wrestler to the WWF, a nearly 8-foot-tall giant Gonzalez. Soon after, Whippleman allied himself with new clients such as Adam Bomb, the tag team of Well Done, and Quang. But eventually, they all parted ways in their own manners. He later managed Bertha Faye in an angle where he fell in love with her despite her abuses of him, much to the confusion of announcers and fans all the same. He led Faye to the WWF Women's Championship as she defeated Alundra Blaze at the 1995 SummerSlam. The Million Dollar Man Ted DiBiase. Initially, Ted had been the benefactor of Brother Love and had been the man who introduced The Undertaker at the 1990 Survivor Series. After a career-ending injury, DiBiase immediately took on former partner Erwin R. Scheister as a protege and added Bam Bam Bigelow to his Money, Inc. stable soon after. Then, DiBiase announced that he brought back The Undertaker, who had been out of action since 1994, early on in the Royal Rumble. He introduced his fake Undertaker, which was Brian Chains Lee. Ted added Tatanka to his stable after Native American turned on Lex Luger. DiBiase continued with his group well into 1995 as he added WWF great King Kong Bundy, Sid, and the 123 Kid. By the end of 95, Money Inc. had basically disbanded with the exception of the 123 Kid. However, Ted began to focus his attention on his newest recruit, the Ringmaster, a.k.a. Steve Austin. DiBiase proclaimed that Austin was the new Million Dollar Champion, and Steve even used DiBiase's Million Dollar Dream Sleeper Hold as his finisher, along with the Million Dollar Belt. DiBiase's history of being a man to introduce stars continued as he joined World Championship Wrestling shortly after his WWF career had ended. Ted became the benefactor of WCW's popular NWO angle. 
He then left the group because being a devout Christian wouldn't set a good example of what the NWO did and what he was preaching. He became a face manager for the Steiner Brothers in 97, but by 1998, they had all disbanded and gone their separate ways. DiBiase, another underrated manager, the Money, Inc. stable was a popular one in the mid-90s, even though it wasn't a popular time for the organization. He did play a part as a solid and influential manager. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we're just moments away for the World Wrestling Federation Championship match. And with me now, the self-proclaimed million-dollar champion, <laughs> Ted DiBiase, a man who over the years has used his money to bankroll some of the cruelest and most outrageous stunts in World Wrestling Federation history. You offered a young boy $100 to bounce a basketball 15 times in a row, only to kick the ball away after the 14th bounce. And by not paying off Ted DiBiase, you broke that little boy's heart. You paid a swimming pool attendant several hundred dollars to kick all the kids out of the pool on a sweltering hot summer day, just so you could have that pool all to yourself. But the time that sticks in my mind most, Ted DiBiase, is the time you hired a lookalike imposter referee in an attempt to steal away the World Wrestling Federation Championship, a scheme that almost worked. Fortunately, WWF President Jack Tunney interceded, declaring your claim to the title belt to be invalid. Which leads me to wonder, Ted DiBiase, just what do you have up your sleeve tonight? Wealth is what it's all about, Oakland. It's the bottom line. And my wealth runs deeper than just dollars. Because I'm rich in ring prowess, flush with technical skill, and extremely well off when it comes to wrestling ability. Well, you may indeed be a great wrestler, Ted DiBiase, but I can't help but think tonight you're up to something. <laughs> it's not what I'm up to, Oakland. It's what it all comes down to. And what it all comes down to is this. Money isn't everything. It's the only thing. And everyone, everyone has a price for the Million Dollar Man. <laughs> All right, let's go over to Sean Mooney. Paul Ellering, or should we say Precious Paul. Ellering is best known for managing the Road Warriors, also known as the Legion of Doom, from 1983 until 1997 during their stints in the American Wrestling Association, the National Wrestling Alliance, New Japan Pro Wrestling, and the World Wrestling Federation in 1992. In the early 80s, Ellering formed a wrestling stable in Georgia Championship Wrestling named after the Legion of Doom comics of the Saturday morning cartoon Super Friends. Though the other wrestlers faded off as he focused, focused his attentions exclusively on the dominating Warriors, Ellering continued to refer to himself as his team by the Legion moniker, especially while in the WWF, where the Road Warriors name was not recognized. Throughout 1998, he managed the Disciples of Apocalypse, who were then feuding with the Legion of Doom. According to Ellering and Animal on the Road Warriors DVD, which you can get, I definitely recommend it, Ellering had a hard time working with another team against Hawk and Animal, and had difficulty ripping on his former team on the microphone. Although primarily a manager, Ellering stepped between the ropes as a competitor, notably at the 1987 NWA Great American Bash, in which he joined the Road Warriors, Nikita Koloff, and Dusty Rhodes to face the Four Horsemen and their manager, James J. Dillon, in the first-ever War Games match. Ellering would also face Teddy Long in a hair-versus-hair match at WCW Capital Combat in 1990. I have to say right now, anybody that gets in the ring with the Road Warriors has to be crazy. You know, Santana Crockett, hook your back to look at the monitor! 
We're getting a little sick of hearing about shave this, cut this, cut that. As far as we're concerned, cuts are for kids and masses for men. You're looking at two of the most thickly muscled athletes in this business today, in the sport of professional wrestling. Anytime, anywhere, we'll prove to anybody we're the strongest guys in this sport. Remember, people, we're the guys that say what we're going to do. Then we do it, right, brother? Well, Davey, baby, we've been through some bunkhouse stampedes. I won some. He won some. We flipped a coin. I think he's going to go to the finals. Now, there's everybody out here talking about being a bull in the bunkhouse stampede. Well, what is it with this bull thing? I tell you, it's a bunch of bull. That's what it is. It don't mean nothing to us. Because all it means anything to us is not being a bull. That's not how we got where we're at. We're just sticking nuts. That's how we got where we got. Our roofs are missing a few singles, if you know what I mean. The elevator don't go to the top because there ain't an elevator. So you just take that to the bank when you think about getting in the bunkhouse stampede with the LOD. You better think twice. And we snack on danger and we dine on death. Goodbye. Well, David Crockett, it seems to me, it seems to be that there's a lot of people talking about Superman. Everybody thinks he's a Superman, whether he's in the Bunkhouse Battle Royal or whether he's Paul Jones just talking trash. I'm not out here to Got fight. Problem. No, I'm not out here to fight, and I'm not looking for a fight. I just have something to say, and I want to get it off my chest. I have a problem, Paul. I received a lot of letters from people saying that, that the Road Warriors were the world's strongest wrestlers. Now, I think I know how that got started. Somewhere along the line, you might have said on an interview jokingly that they were the strongest wrestlers, or even they might have said it. But it, it, just, it doesn't matter right now. But what I, what I want, we've got to get clear and convince the fans and show the fans that my men, the, the warlord and the barbarian, are the world's strongest wrestlers. And, you know, and I think to save face, and you won't have to come out here and admit it, you know, that, you know, you, well, you know what I'm talking about. But to save face, that I think we should do is I will put up 25,000, 50,000, whatever it takes. I don't know, you know, I'm out here, I don't know if you got that kind of money. But I'm challenging you, I'm challenging you, any feat of strength that suits your road warriors, uh, whatever's their pet peeve, whatever they're strongest at, whether it's wrestling, I just, just, just joking, maybe your two road warriors against one of my men, the warlord or either the barbarian, or weightlifting, or jogging, running, anything, anything. Oh, by the way, I love that t-shirt. I know it's inexpensive, but it looks good on you. Anyway, let's get back to what I was talking about. $25,000. We've got to prove to these people, Paul, that my men are the world's strongest wrestlers. You can look at them, and if you be honest with me and be honest with those people, you will admit it. And the reason I didn't write your letter and tell you about this is because I wanted to confront you in front of all these people so you won't have a lapse of memory tomorrow 
and people will be asking you, how about it, Paul? Or what are you going to do? Is he going to be bodybuilding? Is he going to be jogging? Or is he going to be wrestling? You know? So now it's up to you. Now I said you can have a rebuttal, so go ahead. David Crockett. The, I, hear, I hear a faucet. Yeah, I, listen real close. Do you hear that faucet? No, it was Paul Jones. It was a drip. Paul Jones. The people don't buy that. Everybody knows that it's like the dog chasing the car. The dog barks and it yips and it barks. But what does it do when the car stops? It just turns around. It tucks its tail between its legs and it walks off. My men bench press 600 pounds, Paul Jones. 600 pounds. You want a weightlifting meet a bench press contest. You say you got a lot of money. Well, money's my name, Mr. Wall Street. I think that's a fair deal, don't you, David? Yes, I think it is. We're going to find out more about this. Listen, coming up next, the world tag team champion. Teddy Long. Teddy was initially a referee turned into manager. On April 2nd, 1989, at Clash of the Champions in New Orleans, Long blatantly made a fast count which allowed Mike Rotunda and Dr. Dusty Williams to defeat the Road Warriors for the NWA World Tag Team Championship. After this match, the NWA relieved Long of his refereeing duties. Long became manager of Doom, the popular team Doom, Ron Simmons and Butch Reed, and led them to the World Tag Team Championship. He also managed Chris Jericho, Johnny B. Bad, One Man Gang, Norman the Lunatic, The Skyscraper, Sid Vicious, Dan Spivey, and one Mark Calloway, Marcus Bagwell, Two Cold Scorpio, Joey Maggs, Craig Pittman, Jim Powers, Bobby Walker, Ice Train, and Bobby Eaton while in Jim Crockett Promotions and WCW. Oof, what a roster. In the World Wrestling Federation, he continued his heel manager persona once again under his full name and perhaps... His most notable managing stint in this period in this period of time came when he managed D'Lo Brown, Rodney Mack, Christopher Nowinski, Rosie, Mark Henry, and Jazz at different times. He told fans to get down with the Brown and back to Mack. He played a stereotypical held down minority using a bonics. You know, don't be drinking that haterade. And would say, of course, his trademark playa. His stable would be refer- would eventually be referred to by fans as Thuggin' and Buggin' Enterprises. When he was drafted to SmackDown, he managed his third non-African-American wrestler, Mark Jindrak. But then he would turn into the general manager role, as we mentioned previously with Vicky Guerrero, in which he excelled at and maintained as the longest reigning general manager in WWE history. February 25th, Greensboro, North Carolina. It's where it's all going to come to a head. The Road Warriors will be finished for 1990, and there's going to be some new kids on the block. Mean Mark Callis, the real deal, Dangerous Dan Spivey, the skyscrapers, we're going to rule professional wrestling. Now, what you people are watching is what happened to Hawk and Animal when they tried to interfere in the theater or along connection. Now, you see what they did with that chair. They left the Road Warriors' brains splattered all over the canvas. Now, it's going to be worse than that in a Chicago street fight because you can bring anything and you can do anything. So there's no telling what I might bring and there's no telling what I might do. Now, Mean Mark, 
church, just before I get you to talk about the low-down, dirty, stinking road warriors, I want to say, free James Brown, I'm a total supporter of it, and you people better get behind me. Ow! Tell them me, Mark. Hey, Corpus Christi was nothing. The clash, what's going to happen to you in that Chicago street fight? It ain't for the weak of heart. Paul Bearer. Percy Pringle. We dedicated an entire show to this superstar. Before his managing career took off, Paul accompanied Rick Root, Steve Austin, Mark Calloway to the ring in FCW and WCCW in Texas. He took over the role of manager of The Undertaker from Brother Love and never looked back. Paul Bearer played a major role in The Undertaker's career, helping the superstar for nearly 13 years. After helping Undertaker reach the top of the company, he then introduced the world to the monster Kane. This led to a feud among the three that revealed that Kane was the Undertaker's kayfabe half-brother. When the Undertaker and Kane burst on to the WWF scene in 90 and 97 respectively, they both were not speaking characters. This heightened the importance of Percy Pringle's role as the haunting funeral director whose high-pitched tones and continual references to the power of the urn added to the Undertaker's mystique. Bearer is was an you cannot say he was an integral part of the Kane Undertaker feud that has spanned over fifteen years and was reincarnated in two thousand ten. Unfortunately, like we mentioned recently he passed away, but no one can deny the success of Percy Pringle, previously known as and then later on known as Paul Bearer in professional wrestling. He is a surefire Hall of Famer, one of the greatest managers of all time. I suggest going back to our special Remembering Paul Bearer edition, where we go into great detail on his career and his contributions to professional wrestling. Oh, Undertaker, I've been sitting all alone in the darkness of my funeral parlor, thinking about mass burials. All the mass burials down through history. I wish I could have been there. But there's one, there's one ahead that I will attend. Oh, yes, 29 bodies, 29 souls. And you, Undertaker, can present them to me one by one. And with each one, you'll get closer and closer to your championship. My sole purpose... And this lifeless world is to collect the souls of the unfortunate people that cross me. Coming soon, there will be 29 bodies at my feet, and I'll stand alone at the top. And we'll wrap it all up with arguably the greatest manager of all time, Bobby the Brain Heenan. Hilariously funny, outrageously biased, and financially corrupt, there is only one man, one man, that could be called the greatest manager that has ever lived. His name was Bobby Heenan, and he was a feature in many of the main storylines of the 1980s. The group of wrestlers that he took under his wing was known as the Heenan Family, and they acted as a stable looking out for the interest of each other under the direction of the brain. Not truly a faction or stable, so to speak, by definition, because they were all individuals 
competing individually or in tag teams looking for their own interests, but they had a common goal, a common ground of Bobby the Brain Heenan being their manager. So in a sense, they looked out for each other. Heenan's back and forths with his good friend and on-air enemy, Gorilla Monsoon, on primetime wrestling, are legendary and make for entertaining viewing on YouTube. Go check it out, fans. The Heenan family engaged in many feuds with the likes of Hulk Hogan and Andre the Giant. Its key members were Paul Orndorff, King Kong Bundy, Ravishing Rick Rude, Big John Studd, and Mr. Perfect. Kurt Henning's legacy was cemented in the WWF based on his time with Heenan. And it is arguably that his face run would not have been as successful if it had not been for his heel run with the brain. When Perfect turned on the family and Ric Flair, it was similar to Batista turning on Triple H in Evolution, which started a similar, a very similar successful babyface run for the animal. Heenan's protégés could not fail to learn from his quick wit and ability to run his mouth. This allowed him to become one of the greatest announcers of all time with the World Wrestling Federation and WCW. Anyone that claims that Jim Ross and Jerry Lawler were the greatest announcer duo in history clearly has not listened to the chemistry of Heaton and Monsoon. They can rival them with the best. They can rival any combination. They could take on the best of them. Bobby Heenan was a character the fans loved to hate, and the heels would feel that heat specifically by aligning themselves with the brain. Heenan deserves his place in the Hall of Fame, and he deserves his place at the top of our discussion of the greatest managers of all time. In a short span in the 1980s, the brain went from having no champions under his management to having two tag team champions, as well as having a Mr. Perfect competitor, or should I say a perfect competitor by the name of Mr. Perfect, compete for the Intercontinental title on three occasions. We will remember his feuds with Hulk Hogan, his great managing skills, and his constant back and forth with the Gorilla. We will forever chant Weasel when we hear the name Bobby Heenan, arguably the greatest manager of all time. Fans, I've had a chance to catch the world's heavyweight champion, Nick Bockwinkle, and talk to him before he left for his championship defenses scheduled for the Far East. Nick Bockwinkle, let me ask you, there's still all around the country quite a bit of controversy about the submission hold, the sleeper. Well, one of the things that is so controversial is that the Los Angeles Police Department uh, have told their officers they no longer can use it because they've had 12 incidents and cases of people being permanently injured. And so it's taboo. And it is a hole that no one should use. It basically, uh, Bobby, take the mic. What we're talking about is the edge of this bone on your forearm, the ulna. It goes across the carotid artery right here on the side of the neck. We're cutting off the blood to the head. And so that when you take and you put it there, okay? Now, as we do know, Mr. Ganya for years has used the sleeper. But what a lot of people don't know, bring the camera in close. As you can see, my arm is on the side. Mr. Ganya, when he gets it, he swings it around. Now look where my forearm is. It's across the throat. I've just got one arm, and the poor man's choking to death. He has spent years choking people down, 
rather than applying it on the side, then here, bringing it in, and the leverage. Now this man, if we hold on to him a little longer and put the pressure on, he's going to go nighty-night. But we wouldn't want to do that to the man, would we? No. You know, everybody in professional wrestling for years, here, you, you make yourself useful. Everybody in professional wrestling for years talked about Ganya's sleeper. What a great hold it was. We were the only ones that made any stink about it because everybody knew and we knew it was a chokehold. Now, because uh, you've been so victorious with and successful mm -hmm. with it, everybody's screaming now. It's a chokehold. Well, like uh, Mr. Bachwinkle said, Ganya moved his arm over just a little bit. From the side, right there. This is what Mr. This is the Ganya sleeper. This is the Mr. Bachwinkle sleeper. And I would want to say this to the championship committee. We would find it outrageous that you would take and bar the hold at this time simply for the fact that we've been so successful. Everybody seemed to turn their head when Mr. Gagne did it for years. And Greg Gagne still does it the same way. And I may I suggest this, that the children out there watching, they Definitely. don't apply this to one another because it could cause permanent brain damage. No, same goes for the old ladies and everybody else out there that's interested in putting the sleeper on. It's nothing to play with. And I'll tell you another thing, it's nothing to play with. And that's the Heenan family. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Barber Shop Window, the place that makes wrestling t-shirts cool again to wear. Yes, you could wear a wrestling t-shirt out in public. They release brand new designs every single week. Follow them at B Shop Window on Twitter and go to barbershopwindow.com now and make your wrestling wardrobe cool again. <laughs> Hey, wrestling fans, do you want to break from the day-to-day -day ins and outs of the WWE, TNA, and Ring of Honor? Do you like talk radio that pulls no punches? And do you like your sci-fi and fantasy? Well, tune in to the Elite Force Podcast each and every midweek with Chuck W., and each weekend with William Walkie Walker and Mindwipe. Exclusively on the SNS Radio Network and the Chris Jones Gaming Network. Yeah. This is going to be fun. Hey guys, this is Ashley. And this is Sandro. And we're here to make sure that you check out the whole indie show each week on the SNS Radio Network. As both of us, along with our other co-host Randy, cover everything that you need to know on all things indie wrestling. It's your place for all the most recent indie news and event results, reviews of the latest shows from all the major promotions, and previews for all the upcoming events. We also want your feedback on any indie stuff you may have seen as well. Plus, you know, you never know. You might even get a few paperclip references now and then. So for all that and much more, listen to The Whole Indie Show every week here on the SNS Radio Network. Every Thursday, the SNS Radio Network gets in the ring and starts running the ropes. When I, I okay, I, I caught SmackDown again. I caught, I skipped Sheffield's gimmick, and I couldn't help but to think 
that his new gimmick sounds like an Arby's uh, roast beef sandwich. Join Brian Maverick Bertrand and Chris Kelly from HeadlockSandlines.com as they talk about every random thing going on within the WWE, TNA, Ring of Honor, and the NorCal Independent Scene. Running the Ropes also features interviews with stars from the past. It's me, it's me, it's the D-O-double-G, the road dog, Jesse James. Present. What's going on? This is Kazarian. And this is the Fallen Angel, Christopher Daniels. And future. Hey guys, it's Dream of the And so much more. So join the guys every week on Running the Ropes right here on the SNS Radio Network. Are you a fan of the SNS Radio Network? Want to keep up with what's going on with all the personalities and radio shows on the SNS Network? Well, let me tell you how. You can check out the Facebook group over at www.facebook.com slash groups slash SNS Radio Network. On Twitter, follow us at SNS Radio Network. You can follow me, Mr. Money on the Mic, Jeff Jackson, at SNS underscore JJ sex a one. These are just a few ways to keep up with all the happenings going on on the SNS radio network. Connect socially to beyond the bell via Twitter and tout at Sean Beckerman. Become a fan of beyond the bell on Facebook under the BTB fan page. All audio and video clips can be seen under the YouTube channel ring announcing for beyond the bell. You can download all of the archive shows at ringannouncing.com as well as snsradionetwork.com. You smartphone users, download all archive shows directly via iTunes, the Stitcher app, and TuneIn Radio. Like the SNS Radio Network, if you're not listening, you're not trying. Want to become a sponsor of Beyond the Bell? Contact us at btbwrestling at gmail.com or Beckerman at ringannouncing.com put under the title advertising join the beyond the bell revolution now as we go back to rewind and relive all things retro in wrestling classic old school you name it it's beyond the bell on the sns radio network the art of the manager was lost for so many years in professional wrestling and in the modern day and age of sports entertainment Paul Heyman has reinvented the role. He'll never state that he's a manager. He'll more so say he's a, an advocate or an agent to his client. The next Paul Heyman guy. Vicky Guerrero, another diva slash superstar that reinvented the manager role in professional wrestling. Whether you love to cheer him or love to boo him or even love to hate any manager themselves... You had to appreciate the art of being a manager, being the mouthpiece for a superstar. The ones we mentioned tonight were far above any other superstar attempting to be a manager or any valet posing as a good-looking quote-unquote chick. These are the individuals that paved the way for future managers slash agents to be involved in professional wrestling. No one will ever forget those women and men that hold a special place in our hearts as a professional wrestling fan. 
Bobby Heenan, Classy Freddie Blassie, Jimmy the Mouth of the South Heart, Paul E. Dangerously, Paul Bearer, the Captain, Captain Lou Albano, the leader of the horsemen, James J. Dillon, and the women, Sensational Sherry, Miss Elizabeth, and who could forget Sonny, all of these stars made their counterparts, their superstars, even better. We thank you for the memories and thank you for cementing your legacies in sports entertainment. It's time to take it home with some old school music. The Doctor of Style, Slick, introduced us to Jive Soul Bro, the theme song for the Twin Towers. I thought it's fitting we have a manager take us home here tonight. So, Reverend Slick, take it home. This is your personal ring announcer, Sean Beckerman, signing off. Until next week, fans, I'll see you at the matches. Well, I met this lady and I told her quite a story, said I love her forevermore. But the trouble is I tell the same old story to every girl that walks through the door. This is the sister talking at your money. You never get nothing in the end.